Awesome. Um, yeah, so we're just going to spend a bit of time now just doing some teaching through that passage in Matthew. Um, we've been tracking through Matthew's Gospel for uh, a little while, and this um, year, the sort of section we're in is called The Man, and it's all about Jesus, this man. And in, in this section of the Matthew's Gospel, it's all about how different people are responding to diff- Jesus in different ways. And um, we've kind of been seeing that um, people are increasingly opposing Jesus. And we know, even as we come to celebrate Easter soon, that ultimately Jesus, who's this person going around doing good things, is going to be crucified, which is just crazy when you think about it, that, that he's opposed so much and then killed. But where we're up to in Matthew's Gospel is that this opposition against Jesus is kind of growing more and more. And that's kind of where we were at the last couple of weeks, and you see it again in this message. Um, Jesus is doing powerful things, amazing things, and things that can't actually be explained away, which is really interesting, right? Like, as as we look at this passage, um, people don't say, oh, no, Jesus is just making this stuff up, or it's just fake, or he's just, like, doing some trick. They actually can't explain what's going on, so they have to come up with an alternate explanation. So we'll look at this quickly, um, and then we're going to look at Jesus' response. So we see, we see this example, right, in the first verses here, Matthew 22, um, says here that they brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man. And that's kind of strange in our day and age to think of that, but in the story of Jesus, this is happening again and again. Jesus is finding people who are encountering some kind of spiritual evil, and he frees them from it. He has this spiritual power. This man is blind and mute. He can't hear, he can't speak because of an evil spiritual force that's affecting him. But Jesus heals him. It's no problem for Jesus. Jesus is powerful. And he heals this man so he could both talk and see. It says, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, these are like the Bible teachers, some of the religious leaders, people who are starting to oppose Jesus. When they heard this, their response is, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So it's a pretty extreme accusation. That's kind of the context today. That's what happens. Then we're going to look at how Jesus responds. Um, But it's a pretty extreme thing to say. Um, And I was thinking, like, what would this look like today, right? Like, if something like this happened today with newspapers, with social media, just imagine, like, that that could be, like, the context that's going on. Like, this crazy thing happens. Imagine people, like, filming it. They're posting stuff. Like, whoa, this guy, I knew this guy. He was, like, he couldn't talk, and now he can. Some people are saying, like, whoa, who is Jesus? Like, could this really be the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the son of David? And and when it says that, some commentators say people are saying, like, really? Could this really be? Like, they're still kind of doubting. They're not sure. But some people are, like, maybe posting and sharing news articles. Jesus did this. What could it be? But then there's a press release from the Pharisees. And this is, like, the official party. It's, like, what's their statement on what just happened? How are they going to interpret what Jesus just did? Because no one can say that nothing happened. Something happened. There's something going on. And in a sense, the press release, the public statement from the Pharisees is that, yes, he did this work, but he's doing it by the power of Satan, effectively, the prince of demons. Like, imagine that, putting in the news, right? Like, this person's doing this, but it's because they're pure evil. Like, it's such an intense accusation. And in some ways, as soon as someone says that to you, it's like, how do you respond to that? Like, if someone's explanation for what you're doing is that you're 
full of demons and you're doing it by the power of evil, how do you defend yourself towards that? How do you respond to that? It's to like completely discredit him, absolutely. And they're completely resisting the fact that something's happened that has to be reinterpreted through a different framework. What we're going to do is look at the fact that Jesus kind of dismantles this accusation. He responds to it uh, with questions, but then he also gives some insights into what's really going on in these guys and the people who are opposing him. So we're going to go through Jesus' response to this pretty crazy charge. And again, like in the context, if that's true, then then it makes sense that they're going to want to kill Jesus. That was normally, if someone's doing witchcraft, if someone's evil, you just get rid of them, discredit them. That's what they would do. So Jesus is in danger in a sense, but he's going to respond to this charge. So look at verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household dividing against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? It's a really interesting response, right? Because again, he, in a sense, asks them a question and responds to the fact that their accusation is quite illogical. That to accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of demons is to say that there's this internal civil war in this evil realm. And he's basically saying that there's a lack of logic to that. It doesn't really make sense um, because Jesus is, in fact, going away around and freeing people. And it's not just this one time. He's doing it multiple times. So he's, in effect, undoing the work of this evil kingdom. So to say that he's working for it kind of doesn't make sense. On this, Tom Wright said this as a sort of summary as a response. It says, if Satan is wanting to get more and more control over people, He's unlikely to give Jesus power to set lots of them free. So Jesus is going around setting lots of people free. Um, So this accusation that, well, he's actually doing it by the power of evil doesn't really make sense. But he just sort of, he doesn't like attack them, right? He just questions the logic. He goes on in verse 27 and asks another question. If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, this is like another word for Satan, I suppose, by whom do your people drive them out? So they will be your judges. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, the first sort of question is, well, it doesn't really, it's not really logical, this accusation. Second, it's not really consistent. In some ways, it's hypocritical. Because there were other people who would be going around, uh, Jewish exorcists who would practice this, not with the same sort of power as Jesus, probably not that effective, but it seems like some were. Um, so Jesus is saying, well, are you saying that they're doing it? by the power of evil as well? Like, is everyone doing it by the power? Like, or is it just me? Like, and, it's, and it's like, that's kind of inconsistent. But then he says, but if it's by the Spirit of God, we looked at last week that, that Isaiah said Jesus would have the Spirit of God. We said Jesus, the Spirit came on Jesus at his baptism. Everything Jesus is doing is by the Spirit of God. He said, if it's by the Spirit of God that this is happening, that I'm driving out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. God's kingdom is coming, and they're opposing it. And they're trying to reinterpret it so that they can push it aside. And Jesus is starting to touch on the fact that maybe it's that they just don't want what he's offering. So they have to explain it some other way. So his kingdom is coming. God's, God is coming. And in, in a sense, these two kingdoms is, is Jesus' view of the world is that there is a spiritual battle with two kingdoms, a kingdom of evil and a kingdom of good, a kingdom of Satan and God, and God's kingdom is coming and freeing people. 
In verse 29, he responds again with another question. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. In a sense, Jesus is saying, which is a strange thing to say in some ways, you can't rob someone unless you tie them up first. (laughs) Is what he's saying. And he's saying he's the one tying up. He's doing the tying up. He's tied up. Satan, in a sense, is what he's saying. And now he's robbing him of all the people that he's taken captive. Jesus has authority over the enemy. And now he's going around freeing people from the power of the devil. In a sense that he's shown that he has this authority. And it's interesting to say, well, how did that happen? And, And some people say, well, when Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan tried to tempt him and was unsuccessful. And Jesus gained spiritual authority, and then he came out. And as he came out of the wilderness, he started to heal people and to free them. It's like Jesus is someone who the power of evil has no control over, and therefore he can, in a sense, plunder and free people from the enemy. And Jesus has this victory. So he gives all these questions and responses, and kind of what we see in Jesus' responses is that Jesus is taking ground for God's kingdom in a cosmic spiritual battle that is going on. Jesus is not working for the enemy. Jesus is working for God, and God's kingdom is breaking in, and people are being freed, and the context is there's actually a battle that's going on. In Acts, actually, Peter, talking about Jesus, um, describes Jesus this way. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's a summary of Jesus' life. It was a big part of Jesus' life, that he came with authority to free people from the power of evil. And again, like it's kind of not a thing we necessarily talk a lot about in our culture, or it's something that maybe even listening to this today in church just sounds strange and weird, and that's because it is to Western world, right? Like the way that the Western world approaches the world is fairly materialistic, um, maybe there's some kind of spiritual thing, but that's kind of just your personal preference and, and just what works for you kind of thing. Um, but many people in the world are aware of spiritual forces, and the Bible is written in the context of a world that's very aware of spiritual forces and the fact that there are good forces and evil forces, and there's a cosmic battle going on. And multiple times in the Bible, we are reminded as Christians that we are in a battle, that the battle's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual authorities and powers. And in our culture, the danger is we kind of just listen to that and we think, oh, that just sounds a bit crazy and a bit weird, and maybe that was for back then. Um, Whereas for some other people, the, the danger is we just get obsessed with that and get too fearful of that. And there's this middle ground of recognizing, well, yes, we're in a spiritual battle, but Jesus has authority. And we need to understand that, but not be obsessed or afraid. We need to be awake to the battle, aware that it's going on, but trusting Jesus and confident in Him. So Jesus has kind of asked these questions um, that's kind of dismantling their logic and the accusation that they've made. But now He starts to shift and show the seriousness of how they're responding to Him. Because if they're in a spiritual battle and He's coming and bringing freedom, they're starting to reject Him That's serious. He says this in verse 30 of Matthew 12. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Again, it's a pretty strong statement Jesus makes, right? Jesus, yes, is full of compassion and love, 
But at the same time, there's a hard line because there's a spiritual battle. And Jesus is saying, you're either on my side or you're not. There's actually only two options. You're either with him or against him, working with him or against him. You either believe him or you don't. There's either there's two kingdoms, you're in one or you're in the other. And again, we kind of probably don't necessarily resonate with that very easily as well. Again, it's kind of in our culture, it's kind of like, well, you have your beliefs and I have mine, and some people just, most people sort of just say, well, no, I just want to be neutral, like I'm not really interested in all that, I'll just do my own thing over here. And that's one view of the world. Jesus' view of the world is that to say that is to join not his side, to join the other side. You actually, there's no choice whether to join a side or not. The only choice is which side you will join. Is it Jesus or is it not? Which is a bit scary when you think about it. Um, in effect, he's saying that there's no neutral ground. There's two kingdoms, there's two choices, and you're either in one or the other. There's no neutral ground in this battle, but the Spirit is at work drawing people to Jesus. There's a battle, there's no neutral ground, but Jesus is coming and he's freeing people. He's winning people into his kingdom. And that's the main thing the Spirit is doing, is helping people recognize Jesus and his kingdom and drawing people to him. That's the whole point. So it's not like Jesus is just like, you're in or out, too bad. It's like there's a, there's a strong line, but he's coming to rescue and to draw and to forgive. He offers forgiveness. He wants people to come to him. But at the same time, therefore, if that are no neutral ground, then to reject him is really serious. And that's what these guys are doing to him. So he starts to warn them with some pretty strong warnings. I'll read this in verse 31. It says this, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Again, some pretty strong words, maybe some of the strongest words that Jesus says. It's pretty intense. And what he's effectively saying is if the Spirit is the one that's coming, that's making Jesus known to people, if the Spirit is the one that's rescuing people into his kingdom, then to reject the Spirit is to be beyond saving, is to be beyond hope. Basically, another quote um, I'll read here says this, Jesus is warning against looking at the work of the Spirit and declaring it must be the devil's doing. If you do that, it's not just that you won't be forgiven, you can't be, because you've just cut off the very channel along which forgiveness would come. Once you declare that the only remaining bottle of water is poisoned, you condemn yourself to dying of thirst." makes sense. It's not that he's just like, I'm cutting you off. It's that, in effect, people are cutting themselves off. To, to reject the Holy Spirit, to say that what God is doing to rescue the world is actually the power of the devil, is to be in a place where you're not coming to him, you're not trusting him, you're just hardened. And Jesus is warning that it's possible to get to that place. And, and it seems like these guys are getting pretty close to that place. So Jesus is warning them, again, in love. Unfortunately, though, this verse can um, create a lot of fear for people because people read that. Uh, probably most Christians have probably at one point have read that and been like, whoa, have I done that? Like, <laughs> and then that can create fear. And some people start to think, well, I've, there's no, uh, maybe I did do that. Maybe I spoke against God and I spoke against the Holy Spirit. Now there's no forgiveness. And, and that's just not what it means. And, and basically everybody says, 
that if that is your concern, that's, that's evidence that you've not done this, that that's not where you are. Um, I'll read this quote from a guy named Cranfield. He says this, It's a matter of great importance pastorally that we can say with absolute confidence to anyone who is overwhelmed by the fear that he has committed this sin, that the fact that he or she is so troubled is itself a sure proof that he or she has not committed it. In a sense, if you're worried that you've committed that sin that Jesus says is unforgivable, that's the sign that you haven't. Um, if you're concerned, it means that the Spirit is at work in you, that, that God's drawing you. That means that there's hope. It's, it's more people who have just completely disregarded Jesus, want nothing to do with him, like these guys are starting to say that he's evil and just don't care at all. <laughs> like, that's effectively what he's talking about. So there's no neutral ground, but the Spirit is at work drawing people to Jesus. Jesus is starting to warn them, therefore, of the seriousness of rejecting him and opposing him. And now he starts to go a bit deeper and a bit closer to home with what's really going on with this opposition that's coming against him. So I read from verse 31. He says this, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Next verse 35 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So these, again, this opposition, right, the, the press release that they've made, the things that they've posted, the things that they've said are pretty drastic. To make that accusation, again, as leaders, to publicly defame Jesus and say that he's evil is an incredible thing to say. It's an extreme thing to say. And Jesus is saying that like, they need to be concerned about that because it's not just words. Like, sometimes we just think words are just words. Like, you can just say something. It doesn't really matter. But Jesus says what they're saying and the way that they're responding is actually revealing what's going on in their heart. What he's saying is what comes out shows what's within and that the battle is actually in the heart. The metaphor is of fruit, right? Like if, if you look at the fruit on a tree and it's bad, you don't say that the problem's not with the fruit, the problem's with the tree. The tree produces the fruit. If you see good fruit, it's that the tree is good. And Jesus is saying in a similar way that the words we say, the things that come out, the way that we speak, actually reveals what's going on in our heart. It actually reveals what's going on inside. Which is really interesting, particularly, like, I suppose, in a context, in this, co this controversial context Jesus is in, of people attacking him. Um, I guess it's interesting even in our context, and we have social media, and people can say pretty intense things. In some ways, what he's saying is what is said often shows more about the person speaking than the person they're speaking about. The way that the Pharisees are talking about Jesus says more about them than it does about Jesus. And Jesus is, in a sense, putting it on them and saying that, that actually the issue is their heart. The issue is not with Jesus. The issue is with their heart. Jesus is speaking good words of truth and life. Jesus is healing people. These guys are attacking him, attacking someone who just healed someone who's been oppressed. Their issue is their hearts, and what they need is what Jesus is offering, which is transformation of the heart, deep transformation to become a good tree that produces good fruit. And it's interesting, right, because, again, it's easy to sort of think that words don't matter that much. Like, you just say things, and 
can just use words so easily. Um, but Jesus is saying that they do matter because they reveal the heart, and the heart is what matters. What's scary is even this verse says, what really shows your heart is what you say when no one's around, when your guard is down. Because it's easy to kind of say the right things or be careful maybe at certain times, but then other times things just slip out. And you realize, well, actually, whoa, that was inside me. Um, William Barclay says it this way, it's a humbling thing and a warning thing to remember that the words which show what we are are the words we speak when our guard is down. So what comes out shows what's within. The battle is in the heart. So Jesus invites the Pharisees. He invites all people. Jesus' offer, right, it's two kingdoms, and Jesus' offer is actually to enter his kingdom, which actually means to have a whole new heart. To follow him is not a matter of just trying really hard to change or doing the right thing or, or, or working really hard to say, not say bad things. Like The focus is not on the words. The focus is on the transformation of the heart by the power of his spirit. He actually gives his spirit. And actually the offer of Jesus is a whole new heart, is, is a whole new heart and, the, and his spirit actually coming in us to transform us from the inside. Um, once you become a Christian, though, you know it's still a battle. There's a battle going on in the inside between that new heart and between our old ways. We call it between the flesh and between the spirit. What matters is that we're engaging with that battle. We're trusting God to change us from the inside and grow in Him more and more. So, effectively, this this sort of controversial clash and interaction with Jesus is really interesting, but it shows that Jesus has great spiritual power. He, again and again in these stories, uses his power to free people of things that nothing else could help them with. His power is so great that it needs some kind of explanation. It, it can't just be ignored. It can't just be pushed aside. The, the people who hate Jesus, right, they can't just say, oh, well, just, just go to the side. Like, they have to accuse him of evil in order to resist him. That's, that's the only really way that they can um, rationalize being against him still. He reveals God's kingdom is coming, it's undoing the evil in the world, that there's no neutral ground, but there's an offer of joining him, but there's, and therefore there's a seriousness of resisting that offer. And this battle is in us. It's revealed in our words. It's perhaps it's even revealed in the words we say about Jesus. That's the context of this. And to consider how do we speak about Jesus, or what do we think of Jesus? The offer is an invitation to enter his kingdom, receive a new heart, be changed from the inside out, and go on this journey and becoming more and more like him. And he is powerful. He is in the business of transforming people. And we know that his confrontation with evil was not just a matter of freeing individuals, but ultimately, as we're going to celebrate at Easter, his confrontation with evil led him to the cross, where evil killed him. But in doing that, he defeated it. He defeated evil by letting it attack him, and he absorbed it, and he defeated it, and now he has the victory, and he is the king who has conquered. He is powerful, he has authority, and he calls us to trust him and live in his kingdom. So we're going to respond, and then we're going to sing and, and worship again, and there's probably just a couple of ways to respond today. Um, I suppose in, in many ways, the, the response of the Pharisees to Jesus is a matter of being completely closed, so closed that even when more and more light is shone, they have to reinterpret it in twisted ways to remain closed. So an alternate response is to be open, is to be open to 
Jesus. And maybe that's for the first time. Maybe that's for the first time to be open to him and to invite him and to surrender to him, to put faith in him and receive this offer of forgiveness and this offer into his kingdom because there's no neutral ground. So to not receive it, the effect is to reject it, even if it's a passive rejection. If we've done that, though, there's an opportunity to remain open and be more open to the Spirit's work, the Spirit's work in our heart, therefore transforming our heart, transforming our speech, and inviting more of the Spirit into our hearts. So I'm going to pray. I'll just invite you to stand now as we respond. I just invite you to, um, yeah, engage with God, be open to God. Uh, We've heard Jesus' words, um, that He's here by His Spirit, and we want to respond to Him. I just encourage you to open, be open to Him. Sometimes that's helpful to open hands, just to open heart, and to pray to Him. So I'm going to pray and lead us in that. Thank you, Jesus, that you have authority, that you are good, that you have conquered, that you have come to set free. We just ask, God, that we would know more of your freedom and your power in our hearts and our lives. Thank you that you come to pursue us and to draw us and to save, and you call us to surrender. To ask for grace to surrender to you more, to trust the work of your spirit, to know the new life that you've given, and to follow you. Just ask for your presence and and your spirit to be at work even this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Tim. So please uh, join with us in song as we close out the service.